Hey, this is Joseph Massonary. I'm the pastor at Cornerstone, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope this helps you build your faith. I hope in some way that God will challenge you with a new perspective as you listen. Enjoy the message. We have this ensemble cast that if we, if we aren't if we don't notice, right, they all play a specific role in the resurrection and in the story of Jesus Christ, who no doubt is the star, right, the main event, the resurrected King of Kings, Messiah, Jesus, the name above all names, the name we worship and adore, and that's the part where you get excited because he's not here, he is alive, amen? He is, he is not in that tomb, and so we get ready for Easter. And we have like just a few weeks to go. And so each and every week we're going to study a co-star, one of these ensemble cast members of the Easter story. Today we're going to study a a, a man that I think we just tend to skip past a little bit. His name is Joseph. He has a good name. I like his name, right? We got a few Josephs in the house. Uh, But this man is, his name is Joseph of a town called Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea. And you may have kind of read past him, skipped past him. He, he shows up, in a little context here, he shows up in a dark hour. He shows up that Friday after Jesus has been murdered, folks. He shows up when Jesus has been beaten. He shows up and he's got the crown of thorns and his body is nailed to a cross. And this minor character comes on the scene. His name is Joseph of Arimathea. Arimathea, like Mary Magdalene from last week, Joseph is mentioned in all four gospel accounts. Did you enjoy the, the, the teaching last week on Mary Magdalene? Right, that was fun. I've never done a series, a, a teaching on her, and, and I gotta tell you, um, if, if you missed it, honestly, it's so easy to catch up. You can do it on your phone, on our website, but jump into part one because, man, I, I think there is so much we can learn from the life of Mary. And like Mary, there's also a lot we can learn from this Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. Luke chapter 23. Are you there? Do you have a Bible? If you have a real Bible, a real Bible. I always like to say that, but do you have a paper Bible? How about that? If you have a paper Bible, would you throw it in the air? If you've got the digital Bible, throw it in the air. Turn it on with your thumbs. Get your smartphones ready to take some notes. You can get your notes on our Cornerstone app as well. But the Bible refers to this man, Joseph, as a secret disciple. It, it says that he was fearful of the Jews. I'm intrigued by this co-star today. His name's Joseph of Arimathea, like I said, and I want to know who he was. I want to know a little bit more about this man, and, and what can we learn from his example of obedience in Scripture? What can we learn from Joseph of Arimathea today? Because if you're like me, um, he's one of those guys, we read about him every Easter, don't we? But sometimes I just tend to be like, oh yeah, that's the guy that, that's the guy that, that, that helped out and he, he, he buried Jesus and all that stuff. And I don't really kind of dig into what's really going on. Well, I want to do that today. Let's read more about Joseph of Arimathea, starting in Luke's gospel. Are you ready for Dr. Luke's gospel? Let's get into it. Verse 50, there was a good and righteous man named, somebody say it, Joseph. There he is. And here's some interesting facts that begin to come out from Dr. Luke. He tells us he's a member of the Sanhedrin. We can deduct, by the, deduct from this, he is a voting member of the Sanhedrin. Verse 51, and here it goes, it said, who had not agreed with their plan of action? Uh, other translations say he disagreed 
with what had happened, and, and, and it makes you, you wonder how many, of, how many members of the Sanhedrin were against this sham trial, this midnight trial that they put Jesus through, breaking all kinds of their own laws to sentence him to death. Let's go on in 51. It says, he was from Arimathea, a Judean town, and was looking forward to the kingdom of God. Now, you might be here today, and depending on how long you've been in church, right, we all are in different categories and on this journey within our walk, and you might be here today and you're like, how many Josephs are there in the Bible, right? Which, which Joseph are we talking about? This, this small print guy, he's definitely not as big of a Joseph as, you know, the prince of Egypt, Right, the, the, the Joseph, uh, the, 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 well, not the prince of Egypt, he became the, the ruler, the magistrate, almost the, uh, the, the prime minister, president of Egypt. Joseph, who was abandoned by his 12 brothers, right? And then God uses him to preserve his people. He definitely doesn't play a bigger role as that Joseph. He, no way he plays a bigger role as the Joseph who was not afraid to take Mary as his wife. Remember the Joseph who had the, the honor and the privilege of raising Jesus. He, he was the earthly father to Jesus. So who is this Joseph? I wonder sometimes, and it's interesting the scripture Dave was talking about as he came up and prepared us for the offering because we talk about feeling like we have a small role to play, don't we? And that goes so well with this message because Joseph is someone that I think we, we often feel like we, we might have a, a role that's a bit smaller than other people. We often feel like, God, uh, you know, I, I can relate to Joseph time, sometimes thinking like, you know, God, I don't fit into this big global narrative of the gospel. Like, God, I don't fit into this, this I'm not this worldwide, like, I have friends that are like super, super popular preachers that I went to Bible school with, and, I, and sometimes you think like, like I, I'm just totally not like them, right? Like, I'm obedient where I'm at, and you might feel that way even in your own church, right? Like, man, sometimes I'm, I'm serving and people just don't notice, like, the small ways that I give, kind of like this, this smaller role, right? And I joked about like our Moana cast, but we have people who are fisherwomen and fishermen. I've, one of my daughters is a fisherwoman. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, but it's this, this small role to play in this grand story. But we might feel like we're kind of like on the perimeter. We have a peripheral view of the action, so to speak. Joseph of Arimathea, we can honestly just say he's, he's not the headline character, is he? Right? I think of like every Super Bowl halftime show since I've been a little kid. I always turn up the music. I like want to always jam out and listen to whoever's performing, right? They never put a scrub in the halftime show, except that year when they had the Black Eyed Peas. Remember that band? Who were they? That was like the worst halftime show in the history of halftime shows. No, I'm teasing, but good for them. They've done well for themselves, but I'm getting off track here, right? Good for them. They're mu like terrible music, but you guys made a lot of money, so good for them. I don't know, but anyhow... Well, I wasn't a fan of that halftime show. Anybody, was anybody, did anybody like that halftime show? I'm dating myself here. I was like 10 years ago, but you know, throwing a, that is neither here nor there. But when we talk about halftime shows, right, they pull out a headliner. They pull out a big name, a big group, somebody that's going to like bring the eyeballs to uh, the NFL Super Bowl, right? Joseph is not a headline character. He is not the guy that is, he is a small print Christian. But I love the role that he plays. Let's continue in God's word, verse 52. Joseph approached Pilate and asked for Jesus' body, taking it down. And think of this, folks. Think of what he signed up to do here. We just read it and say, taking it down. Well, what is he? He is taking his body down from a cross. 
He is taking his nails. He's taking nails out of his hands. He's taking nails out of his feet. He, I, I'm sure, I mean, this was a messy job, right? This is a, a, a heartbreaking moment. This isn't a victorious moment. He signs up and he does some work that I, I wouldn't look forward to doing. He wrapped Jesus, he wrapped his body in linen after he took it down. He placed it in a tomb, cut into a rock where no one had ever been placed. And look at verse 54, and this is what's interesting. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. All four gospel accounts, they, they tell us that Joseph went to Pilate. Uh, they, uh, they all tell us that he went. So, and, and there's a reason. It gets pretty graphic here, right? There's a reason. He, he went for this simple reason, and we might think, oh, my goodness. But in that culture, this is the reality, most of the criminals and most of the bodies that were crucified were just left there. You were left for dead and the scavengers would probably know when to start circling overhead. The scavengers would come in, the dogs, the vultures, and they would begin to just take what was needed. It began like they would just leave the bodies. And so Joseph of Arimathea shows up so that the body of Jesus would not be left to that type of disgrace, uh, left to scavengers. And there wasn't much time for this uh, in that the Sabbath was beginning, but it began at about at 6 p.m. on Friday. The Sabbath was Saturday, but it began at sunset. And so they believe Jesus passed away around 3 o'clock. And so there's this, this three-hour, two-and-a-half-hour, three-hour window to care for him. And so that's the context of what it looked like in that moment. William Barclay, he, he, he writes a commentary, and he suggests that Golgotha, the place where Jesus was crucified, it was called the place of the skull. And those of you that have been in church, you probably know that, right? It was called the place of the skull. But his thoughts on why they called it there, they said, some say they called it the place of the skull because the amount of skeletons and skulls and things that were left behind on that hillside from previous crucifixions. Right? This is not a pretty scene that Joseph of Arimathea inserts himself into when he steps up. Can you imagine that, right? Right? We, we often just, we, we, I, I sometimes just see the cross and I think of a Thomas Kincaid painting. And I think it was probably anything but, right? The reality, the brutality of it. And we don't see much of Joseph anymore in Scripture, but in this moment we see him respond. And I, I can't help but think again, he's not the Super Bowl entertainer, halftime, highlight reel, headline maker. But he displays a simple act of obedience to Jesus after he experiences the cross, after the cross. Number one, would you write this down in your notes today and would you just make note of this? The crisis of the cross, it changed Joseph of Arimathea. Would you pull out your smartphone, would you put, put that in with your, get your thumbs busy or if you like to take notes the old school way, the best way, right? But the crisis of the cross, the, Christ, the cross, changed Joseph of Arimathea. The cross pushed this man. The Bible tells us he was silent about his faith and it forces him to now go public about it. It forces him to go public with his influence and with his affluence, right? Let's read about this, this, doc, this, this uh, experience from the Gospel of Mark. You know, Mark, we, we think is, it's like he was Peter's ghostwriter. I think Peter was like so probably a little bit ADD before we knew what it was, right? Peter was probably so busy when he, when he became the rock, right? 
Welcome to the Rock. Anybody name that movie? The Rock, Sean Connery, right? But when Peter became the rock that God would build his church, right? When Peter, after he, after he had failed and all these different things, I think of Peter as probably the guy that he was probably so busy with gospel work that he was like, Mark, write this down. I don't have time for this stuff. I'm preaching today. Write this down. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, like Peter's, the, the gospel of Mark, is, is, it's a whole lot less detailed than the, the gospel of Luke or the gospel of John. But let's look at what Peter and Mark have to say. Verse 42 of chapter 15 it was already evening because it was the day of preparation. That is the day before the Sabbath. In verse 43, Joseph of Arimathea. All right, here we go. It says a prominent member of the Sanhedrin. So we, we kind of learned something else. Mark identifies him. It says he was a prominent member. He was a leader. He was an important figure of the Sanhedrin, right? Kind of identifies something new. And it says he was looking forward to the kingdom of God, he came and he boldly went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Joseph was a member of the voting council, and the Bible tells us that he didn't agree with the decision, but I have to like, all right, let's insert ourselves into the story for a moment. He didn't agree with it, but there's nothing in all four of the gospel accounts that say he spoke out against it, right? There's nothing like, I, I kind of just have questions about this situation and not good, I mean, I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm not saying I would have behaved any different. I, I kind of think like, man, was he a guy that he just was afraid to speak out? Maybe, I, I like to think, man, maybe he wasn't, you know when somebody wants to manipulate people, when someone wants to uh, accomplish their evil agenda, I think, man, maybe Joseph of Arimathea wasn't even invited to the trial. You know, maybe, like, maybe they left him out of the vote completely. Maybe, like, he dissented, but maybe they were like, hey, we already know what this guy's going to say. Don't bring him to the midnight trial. When we, when we put Jesus on trial illegally, breaking our own rules, I kind of think, like, what, what, what happened, right? Why was, maybe he wasn't invited. Maybe, you know, maybe none of this would have made a difference at all because we're going to see in a moment, too, Joseph's very present fulfilled prophecy. Uh, there was prophecy that jo- Joseph doing what he, when he showed up we can't really answer all of these different questions. I even sometimes like to, I kind of just think about this. How did all four gospel writers get all this information? Right? Maybe, maybe it was Joseph of Arimathea. Maybe it was Nicodemus who we'll run into in a moment. How did they get this information? Because we know for sure it wasn't Peter. We know, we know they weren't at the, at the trial. We know they had no say in the vote. We know that they certainly weren't present when the Sanhedrin gathered Right? We know it was none of the disciples. So how did they get this firsthand information? Maybe it was a man like Joseph of Arimathea that provided some of this knowledge, some of this inside insight on what firsthand experience of what took place when they tried Jesus. But no, no matter what, we can't really answer all of those questions, but this cross situation, Jesus on the cross, Jesus going to the cross, dying on the cross, it forced Arimathea, Joseph of Arimathea was forced out into the open with his faith. It made it so he no longer could keep this secret, but he had to do something. And that is what the cross does for us. That is what being a follower of Christ is all about. We have these moments where we are forced to, if we follow Jesus and we understand what he was about, right? We, we, it's a choice that we all will face, a choice between doing what culture will like or doing what is right. Doing what is right or doing what is convenient. You know, sometimes staying with the majority is the easy decision, right? Sometimes staying with the majority is less offensive. 
But when Jesus went to the cross, Joseph at that point decided, you know what? This isn't a secret to keep anymore. And I need to do something about it. Let's go to the Gospel of Matthew real quick. So see where we're going with this. Kind of interesting today. We're just going to jump through all four Gospels of talking about the same character, the same story, the same supporting role, co-star. Matthew chapter 27, and let's skip ahead to verse 57. The burial of Jesus when it was evening. Here we go. Now he's labeled. It says he's a rich man. Joseph of Arimathea's got that money. He ain't shopping at Walmart, right? And I'm teasing. When it was evening, it says a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who he himself was, had also become a disciple of Jesus. He asked for the body. Then Pilate ordered that it be released. So Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean, fine linen, placed it in his new tomb, which he had cut from a rock. Then after rolling a great stone against the entrance of the tomb, and look who shows up in verse 61, the hero herself, Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene shows up, and the other Mary were seated there facing the tomb. There's a prophecy, I think, it's, it's Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9. And this prophecy says that the Messiah will be buried among the rich. It's interesting. It says he, he'll be killed, basically he'll be killed in front of the poor. He will be buried among the rich, placed in this rich man's tomb. Joseph of Arimathea, his very obedience fulfilled the prophetic about Jesus, his influence, his connections in the Sanhedrin. You might be here today thinking, you know, I don't have that type of influence. Are you sure? There's people you work with that you influence. There's people I work with that I influence. There's people you do life with. There's family members that you influence. There are friends that you influence. All around you, there are people that you influence. You know, you can, you can influence the people you shop with just by your example, right, when you are patient with that, with that Karen in front of you. I'm teasing. Karen's that. Does anybody here know what a Karen is? All right. So, oh, man, you guys are hip. I had to ask the kids what a Karen was. I wasn't quite sure. We need to think of a, a word as a, a male Karen. Is there a guy? What's the word for a guy? Right? Somebody said what? Oh, is there one? You're young. Yeah, Kevin. So we got Karens and Kevins. So sorry to anybody who's named a Karen or Kevin in here today. I'm teasing. But you know what? Even like something simple. When you're grocery shopping, I, I, I was behind someone recently in line, and she just was given the cashier at Albertsons just a rough time. A rough time. And I remember like I got up right after her and I just said, man, I thank, thank you for helping out. Thank you for hooking me up, right? Trying to like kind of let them know they are appreciated. But man, we all have influence. We can influence someone's day. We can influence a moment. We can influence people. Even, and, and you might be here sitting here saying, you know what? You just said that guy, he had affluence and influence, right? He had money is what this gospel tells us. It says he was a rich man. And some of us might be like, I'm not rich, but you know what? Where we live, our section of the world, Western civilization, right? We, have, we may not be considered rich among our own, but many of us here have disposable, disposable income to go get a cup of coffee that is way too expensive. Amen, right? Some, right? Many of us here, like we have the ability to go and, and get a coffee that, that is a treat that in other parts of the world, there is no way, shape, or form that is a part of their lifestyle. Right? So all of us have some form of disposable income or something that we can use for God's kingdom purposes. 
And that's what we're going to see with Joseph of Arimathea. That's what he did. He used his influence and his affluence to make a difference. We don't have to bring this massive amount of money to the house to make a difference. We may not think we have enough. We may not think we are enough. We might think we're just a footnote in the history of Christianity, which is kind of exciting, actually, because you know what? The reality is for each of us, we are a footnote in the history of Christianity when compared to the grand story of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Jesus, the Son of God, right? And isn't that an honor that we get to just play the smallest role in this story about the creator of the universe, amen? Isn't that amazing when we think about it? So as we kind of get going in this, we might have a, a season of life, and I think we've all felt this, where we just, it might be in the workplace. You just feel like, you know what, I'm not doing anything of significance. Nobody notices what I'm doing or the extra ways that I'm serving in life or at work or, you know, honestly, even sometimes at church, there's people that serve that I don't even hear the stories about how many different people. I remember we had this man in our church for years. His name was Fred. This man, Fred, used to vacuum the basement every Saturday, and he didn't just do it for like 10 days. He did it for like 20 years, 10 years. He just did it all the time, right? We don't even always know the different ways that people serve in the grand story that is all about Jesus, but we aren't insignificant, right? Here's a question for us today when we think about uh, does what I do make a difference? Am I making a difference with my influence? Am I making a difference with my affluence? Here's a question for you. Would you write this down? And this is what I think. When I think of Joseph of Arimathea, why this guy? Here's what I tend to think about. Where was John? Would you write that down? Where was Peter? Where were the other disciples? Where was Nathaniel? Wouldn't this have been a job for them? Shouldn't they have been obedient enough, like obedient enough to go and care for the body of the man that they called friend, the man that they called teacher, rabbi, the man that they loved and cared about, where was Peter? I mean, think sometimes even in, in, Roman, uh, in Roman culture in that rule, the, the body could, of a criminal could be given to the family as Roman law would permit, but I, I was reading this week and it said, you know, the relatives of Jesus were all from Galilee. They didn't possess the finances, they didn't possess the property, they didn't own a tomb, so even in their case, they weren't in a position to claim the very body of Jesus whom they loved. And here we have a man that shows up, this Joseph of Arimathea. It says this wealthy man, he stepped up. He stepped out, he stepped in, and he becomes, I think it's so amazing, he forever in history is known as the man that gave Jesus what? The man that gave him our, our Savior a tomb. The man that fulfilled prophecy by giving Jesus a tomb. Therefore saying like he will be buried among the rich. Isaiah 53, 9. Number two this morning. For Joseph, the crisis of the cross, he had to establish what was right versus what was convenient. I, I just happen to think it would have been very easy for this man, this Sanhedrin, important member of the council, this wealthy man, Jesus had died. He had been nailed to the cross. I think it would have been very easy for Joseph to remain quiet, to just take no action, to move on, and to just go about his day. Let's read about it in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, it, it's, it's like this poetic gospel, right? It's a lot more detailed. After this, verse 38, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because of his fear 
of the Jews. He feared the guys he worked with. He was in the Sanhedrin with. He knew what they were capable of. He was probably very well aware. He asked Pilate that he might remove Jesus' body. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and he took the body away. And here we go. A man named Nicodemus shows up. It says he, he previously come to him at night and also came bringing a mixture of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. They took Jesus' body, they wrapped it in linen cloths with the fragrant spices according to the burial custom of the Jews. There was a garden in the place where he was crucified. A new tomb was in the garden. No one had yet been placed in it. And they placed Jesus there because of the Jewish day of preparation since the tomb was nearby. The Bible makes it clear, John's gospel makes it clear when he writes, he says this Nicodemus was also a secret follower of Jesus, but they decided to not be public about it. I think, man, when we're not public about it, it's like they have this admiration for this man, right? They have an admiration from him, for him from afar, but they don't really know him at the moment. But I find it interesting, the cross brings them together. The cross brings them to this moment where they, they come together for this common purpose, this common cause. And, and Joseph, he, do we realize, like, I think he must have been pretty connected just to get an appointment with Pilate, right? You don't just get to, to roll in and have a meeting, right? It shows you his level of importance. It shows you he was a big deal. He was someone of means. He was connected. And I think it's interesting how much we don't realize he probably, he put himself on the line. But here's the thing. He didn't put himself on the line for someone who was going through great success at the moment. You know, it's one thing, like, it's always funny to me whenever you, if you get into sports, whether it's you like the teams in L.A. or you like basketball, football, or baseball, it's always interesting to me the amount of L.A. Ram fans there are now all of a sudden, Right? That two-week window of the Super Bowl, all of a sudden, everybody's a Bengals fan? Well, Joe Burrow? Like, what is that about? We had nobody has cared about the Bengals outside of Ohio. No, I'm teasing. If you're from Ohio, I apologize. Right? But it's not like, this is, a, this is not a bandwagon moment. He is supporting what we think is the loser. Right? He puts himself on the line. He puts his reputation and his name on the line for a dead Messiah. That hope of a conquering king, really at this moment in time, we, we, we know the whole story, don't we? But in that moment, he is backing a dead criminal. He's putting his name, his wealth, his affluence, his influence. He's, he's coming out, he's saying, this is, this is what I'm all about. And this criminal is dead on a cross, folks. It's one thing to feel like you're, everybody loves like the winning church, the winning team, whatever we view as like that, that big cool thing to be a part of. But remember, Joseph and Nicodemus, they weren't thinking about a resurrection. They had no idea what was coming on Sunday. They just were stuck in this Saturday silent type moment. They don't know how this story is going to play out. But it shows something interesting about Christianity. Something about following Christ. Something about his kingdom. Because the kingdom that we serve, it's a strange kingdom. Is that fair to say that? Right when by serving other people, in fact, we believe we because we have experienced Jesus in such a way, we believe that we aren't even serving those people. We are serving Jesus. Right? It's a strange kingdom. There's this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It says, "This a king who dies on a cross must be the king of a rather strange kingdom." Think about that for a minute. A king that dies on a cross. 
he must be a king of a rather strange kingdom. And think about what that strange kingdom looked like because the crown was a crown of thorns, right? Where the, that, that very symbol of his death, the nails and the cross and his hands being nailed to that cross, the spear in the side, the crown of thorns on the head, it's all a symbol of what eventually Christ broke through. The thorns, the cross, the symbol of, we say it's a symbol of God's power. It's a symbol of how he died for us. He died for you and me. And so it's this, we have this strange commitment to this kingdom that man, when we experience the love of Jesus, when we realize how far we were removed from a holy God and because of Christ we were brought back into relationship, we in turn begin to live our lives for this king that was put on a cross. No doubt a different type of king than the disciples were expecting or Nicodemus was expecting or, or Joseph of Arimathea was ex expecting. But without a doubt, it makes that scripture ring true. I love the scripture. The message of the cross, do you remember the scripture? The message of the cross is what? It says it's foolishness to those who are perishing. Some translations say the message of the cross, it's foolishness to those that are headed for destruction. To those that are, are living their lives outside of God's plan and purpose, right? The, the cross is foolish. But Paul writes, it says, but we who are being saved... We understand and we know the very power of God because of the cross. Number three, would you write this down, our last point this morning before we get ready to, to dismiss today. The crisis of the cross, it, it separates admirers and it separates followers. It separates admirers and it separates followers. Joseph, it, I think, man, he became a follower when he decided to act. Up until that moment, I think it's almost fair to say he was an admirer of Jesus. Maybe he admired him, like I said earlier, from, from earlier, from afar. Maybe he admired the miracles. Maybe he admired, like, that guy's a really good teacher. Maybe he was on the fence. But Jesus, the cross caused him to act. This rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who he himself had become a disciple. He doesn't just admire what Jesus did on the cross, right? Because an admirer, to, to me the difference is this, right? When we just admire someone from afar, we never really put ourselves out there, right? It was kind of like my dating life in high school. Anybody, I just was scared of girls. No, I'm teasing. Anybody, at college too, it was like, I'm just scared, right? Like when you admire someone afar, you have no contact with them. You don't, you don't actually talk to them. You just kind of, just like this, this you're just an admirer, but when you actually follow Jesus, you put, themself, you put yourself out there and you actually make a sacrifice to follow that person. A follower of Jesus does all that an admirer is unable to do, right? And I think about like this, this, this idea of admiring Jesus. I think it's probably what Nicodemus and jo Joseph, the role that they played up until this point, maybe they played it safe. Maybe they played it safe in the Sanhedrin, scared, right? But when they came close to Jesus, when they experienced the cross, when they experienced his touch, they stopped admiring and they started following. They didn't just admire him from a distance, but they began to walk with him and put themselves out there. The Bible says he didn't agree with that decision, did he? But I love that his, his, his actions now begin to back up what he was all about. 
Joseph of Arimathea, his actions backed up the decision. When he decided to put himself out there to Pilate and care for the body of Jesus, to take that body down from the cross to get dirty, to anoint him with myrrh. You know, the, the Bible says, it says it was 75 pounds of myrrh and spices. The normal amount that they would use for a body back then was about a pound is what I was reading this week. Right? I read an article from 2009. It said that much myrrh and that much spices in 2009 prices. And how many of you know, and I think inflation has changed a little bit since 2009. Last I checked, gas doesn't cost what it costed in 2009. Costed, that's good English, right? Uh, but it's neither here nor there. I was reading an article that said 100 and, 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 uh, or 75 pounds of myrrh and spices and aloes, it said it would cost $150,000 to $200,000. And that's in 2009 money. So how many of you, like, do you understand, like Nicodemus and this Joseph of Arimathea, when they came to anoint the body of Jesus, they brought the house. They backed up the Brinks truck to honor Jesus, right? They didn't just play it, they were like, we're going to go big on this. We believe this man was the Messiah, right? And, and oh my goodness, it, it is just crazy the care that they put into this Messiah when it seemed like all hope was lost, the hope of a conquering Messiah, a conquering king, the hope of ruling, right? The hope of, of breaking free from Roman oppression, the hope of Jesus and seeing his miracles. No more. The hope of resurrection. Joseph puts himself out there and none of that was happening. Again, we know how the story ends. They didn't, none of that was happening. They're stuck on this silent Saturday, that this moment of, of, of Christian, have you ever felt like it feels like you're waiting a lot as you follow Jesus, right? Like that silent Saturday for the disciples, for Joseph, where it's like nothing was happening, just tears were flowing. They're in this time of, of waiting, this time of what it feels like, total, total complete defeat. They've been routed, right? Their, their teacher, their rabbi had been killed. And for Joseph of Arimathea, in that silence, it's the very moment he decides to step out and to step in, even when it feels like defeat. So let's talk about this man as we kind of give you one closing idea as we wrap this up. Luke chapter 23, and I, I just, I love labeling him with this scripture in verse 50. We'll go back, let's just circle back. There was a good man, there was a righteous man named Joseph, a member of the Sanhedrin who had not agreed to their plan of action. He was from Arimathea, a Judean town, and was looking forward to the kingdom of God. As we close, here is the big idea today, that you and I, we may have an appointment today, tomorrow, this week, where God will use you and place you and put you specifically in the right place, the right time, the right moment to take action for a cause of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Like when we think about Joseph of Arimathea, God used him for the right place, the right time to take action, to act for the cause of Jesus Christ. And if we could kind of just close with one point, are you ready to take action? Like Joseph of Arimathea, right? You may not be fulfilling prophecy from the Old Testament, but are you ready to act for a cause of Christ? And it could be in a very small way that makes a massive difference for eternity and in the life 
of someone because Joseph of Arimathea, he stepped up. He stepped out. I can't help but think what opportunities await those of us in this room when we do that and we step out in obedience. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray, church, can we? God, we love you. We thank you for this time. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would move and continue to just stir our hearts as we see so much that breaks your heart in this world today. God, we see things all over. God, in our neighborhoods, in our countries, on the West Coast, in the United States, God, we see things in Europe that are just absolutely breaking your heart today. So much happening. And God, we ask that you continue to stir our hearts Give us the faith and the encouragement and the confidence to remember that we believe you have placed us here for this moment in time, for such a time as this, this time in history to declare the good news of Jesus. God, you haven't placed us here to declare a political agenda or a political message, but you've placed us here to declare a kingdom truth and a kingdom message that there is a savior, there is a hope for humanity, there is forgiveness of sins, there is a way to to live our lives representing a kingdom and he is a king who has a kingdom that is not of this world but it's a kingdom of peace it's a kingdom of forgiveness it's a kingdom that is totally the opposite of this broken earth it's a kingdom with a king named Jesus God we pray for opportunities for each of us to step out and represent you like Joseph of Arimathea God let us be fear, fearless in this world where so much is scary There's so much to be fearful of, but God, we can be followers of Christ that are fearless because of what you accomplished on that cross. God, that cross changes our perspective. Maybe you're here today and you can say, you know what, that all sounds well and good, but I'm not sure about this whole cross situation. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know, I I haven't really put much thought into it, or maybe I did when I was a little kid. My parents pushed some form of religion on me this this I heard about Jesus but I never saw anybody represent him maybe you're here today and you think I never saw anybody live for him I don't even know what that looks like so before you can make a decision like Joseph of Arimathea you need to settle something in your heart and it's this question who is Jesus to you is Jesus a nice guy is he a good teacher is he a a a miracle worker that that did tricks or is Jesus King? Is he Messiah? Is he who this Joseph of Arimathea declared he was? Is he this reigning king that Mary Magdalene lived for and anointed? Who is Jesus to you? That's the question as we close. Who is Jesus to you? We declare that Jesus is king. He's our savior. He made a way for us. That cross had a purpose. That cross had a purpose. Jesus knew he had to go for the glory that awaited him. We believe that Jesus on the cross covered us. There's not one of us here that are worthy of being in the presence of a holy God that cannot tolerate wrong and sin. But the Bible says that Jesus became sin so that we could have access to the Father. If you want to just declare that, acknowledge that in your heart, make peace with that, I just want to ask you, would you just open your eyes or lift your hand and just declare, you know what, I just want to say that I believe Jesus is king in this house today.
Maybe you're watching online and that's something you, you've never made that choice, that decision publicly. The Bible says that if you acknowledge Jesus in front of men, he will acknowledge you in front of the Father. And that's all we do to raise our hand. It's just a simple way of saying, you know, I'm going to acknowledge that I believe in Jesus. I believe that he was the Son of God. If that's you, I just want to ask you this morning, would you just lift your hand or make eye contact with me? I'm going to ask you that simple question. Who is Jesus to you? One, two, three. Would you lift your hand if that's you? I see you over there, young lady. I see you over there. I see you in the middle there. I see two back here. Amen. I see you over here, sir. I see you young ladies over here. Can we just pray this morning? That's like eight or hands or so or nine or ten. God, we thank you for those, God, that we are here to acknowledge a king. God, we're here to acknowledge that we've all, goodness, when we want to ask if who's messed up in this house, we all can throw our hands up and say, God, we've all fallen short. And God, we all have not met your standard. But God, we are so thankful that you sent your son to that cross to accomplish a mission on that cross, and that mission was freedom for us. That mission, God, you let your son suffer on that cross so we might have life with you, life and eternity, that we might have a hope. And so for those of you that raised your hand today, could we just say this? God, I ask you to fill me with your spirit. Come on, church, let's all just say that together. Jesus, I believe you died for me. Jesus, I believe you went to the cross for me. Jesus, I believe you rose from the dead for me. God, I believe that you ascended to the right hand of the throne of the Father for me. And Jesus, I believe that you are appealing right now for me. God has put you here for this time, church. Those of you that raised your hand for you to sit here today and say, you know what, I believe Jesus is King of Kings, Lord of Lords. So let's say this, church. God, forgive me for how I've messed up. I want to follow you the rest of my days. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen, amen. We pray this in the name of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Thank you for joining us today, and a special thanks to those who give to Cornerstone. You know, it's because of you, our ministry, it's possible. Uh, You can click the link in the description to give now or visit us at cornerstonelv.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with friends, share it with family, help us spread God's word. You can also join us live every Sunday. We invite you, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We stream service live. Thank you again for listening.